This episode of Story Comic Presents is sponsored by JanusPointPress.com. Watch out for wormholes. Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 325. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com. I'm excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed and award-winning artist and comic creator, Ryan Clater. Hello. Hey, Barney. Ryan. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. It's, it's, it's great to have you here. So you're here promoting your latest Kickstarter, which is which is called we have it down one bite at a time which is about five years in the making correct that's right yeah uh and depending upon how you look at it maybe 20 because this big oversized hardcover art book features 20 years of my work in comics illustration and design so i've done things like neon design watch designs uh fancy pancakes all sorts of different stuff and it's all gonna be in here um but i'm i'm super excited about a couple things regarding this book one is the content of course and the other is the format so with regard to the content the theme of process runs heavily throughout the book every piece in here is going to have behind the scenes process images and a little bit of contextual info to describe what the process was what the project was when it was happening why it was happening all that sort of stuff so um <clears throat> that i think is really exciting and i'm also throwing everything in the kitchen sink at this book in terms of format uh there's a lot of specialty production going on with this book and maybe i can uh, show your audience and describe it to your podcast listeners, if you don't mind. Perfect. Um, yeah, let's check it out. But yeah, let's let's cruise through the page here just real briefly. Um, so the book itself is going to have a dual cloth bound hardcover. So wow. this is actual cloth, not um, uh, paper covering the book. And then the image on the front here is a dual foil stamped image. So these are like a copper foil and a teal foil to match that uh, book cover there. And that'll happen both uh, not only on the front, but spine and back cover too. And I was talking about some of those process pages, which you can see here. And for the podcast listeners, um, I'll try to describe this. Essentially, there is a full image on the right-hand side featuring the finished work. And in this case, it's a comic that I made last year called A Hunter's Tale. And that was originally a poem by my grandfather that he wrote 40 years ago about empathy and I turned it into comic book form. So you see the poem here too. But then on the left-hand page for each featured uh, work, you're gonna see a bunch of process images, like a half dozen uh, thumbnail images that I went through to create this cover, the final pencils, the final inks, and then you see the cover on the right. And I even went through a couple of fully finished covers just to make sure I got this right, because this was you know, this is a family story and uh, really important to a lot of folks in my life. And I wanted to make sure I got this right. So I showed this to, you know, folks like mom and dad and said, hey, what do you think? And a bunch mm. of trusted friends. And ultimately, we ended up going with this cover. But I used this 
unused cover for a print in the Kickstarter campaign. So it didn't go without use. But uh, I was talking about format and I want to chat a little bit about some of the specialty things going on inside the book in addition to the dual cloth binding, dual foil stamping, built-in ribbon bookmark, copper gilded page edges. But inside the book, are there's going to be gatefold pages, vellum overlays, die cut reveals, and more. Uh, just wow. for example, I, I know that's like Greek to probably 95% of the people listening. So just to demystify this a little bit, uh, we're now looking at a piece of original artwork from one of my comics, uh, Coin-Op Carnival, that I co-wrote with my buddy Nick Baldridge, and I illustrated everything in the book. Uh, so this is going to be reprinted at a really high resolution scan. So you can see like the page texture and the pencils that were used to make it. And then the multiple ink strokes going into the project, oh, wow. but it's not just going to be like an artist edition, which is great, but this is going to be formatted in such a way that this original artwork will have a few holes cut in it, these die cut holes that look through to the page behind that's a fully scanned, colored, corrected, cleaned up image, the image that was printed in the book. But then when that uh, original artwork overlays over top of it, you'll be able to see the before, you can turn the page and see the after, or with them on top of one another, you can see before and after at the same time. And then when that page turns, you'll see a before and after image on the left hand, left hand side too. So this is just one of the many specialty formatting features that are going to be jam packed into this book. And I am super excited about how these formatting, uh, specialty formatting items are going to contribute to this theme of process that runs throughout the book. So where did you get that idea? I've never seen that before with a die cut piece. Yeah, I, I'm a big lover of books and art books, and I love it when people push the form of the book, especially as it relates to content within. And uh, so I love pop-up books. And uh, actually, actually, it was one of my students who came into my class. I'm a university professor at uh, Michigan State University, and I teach comics courses. And I was talking about my upcoming book. Uh, one of the students said, oh, that's really cool. I love art books. I can't wait to see it. And then the next class, she brought in like a pack of her own library of art books and we were looking through them and one of those art books had something like this where there was this like die cut reveal in there and i said oh my god this is amazing i so want to do this at some point and so i, I worked that into the book but there's also things like vellum overlays where um you know as an artist i have a difficult time wrapping my brain around interlocking objects I also wrote a book about pinball machines, and those are very complex objects with lots of interlocking pieces. So there's a particular illustration I did where there's uh, you know a pinball play field essentially. That's where the ball rolls around, <laughs> and uh, there's some ramps and you know stacked items. And I was trying to figure out how am I going to draw all this, and essentially what I came to the conclusion of was to illustrate everything on the play field and then the ramps 
that went on top of everything else, I illustrated on a piece of tracing paper when I illustrated it. That also made it really easy for me to scan into the computer and color separately so that I didn't have to, you know, separate all those lines from all the lines underneath. Um, so that's how it was created in real life. When it is reproduced in the book, I'm having a sheet of vellum printed and inserted and bound into the book so that it lays over top of the original art scan and you can see with or without that vellum sheet uh, how that piece came to be. So essentially it's gonna be as close to owning a piece of original artwork as it was in reality as I can possibly make for you. So how, how many pages is this book then? This is going to be the biggest book I've ever made. It's over 250 pages long, and uh, that's how big it's going to be. <laughs> and was there anything that you wanted to put in that you you decided to self-edit and, and cut out? Yeah, there were a number of things that I would have liked to include, but I did not have process imagery for it. So uh, like I said, process runs heavily throughout the book and every featured piece is going to show you how it came to be. There were a couple pieces where uh, I just could not find thumbnail images or pencils or inks for it. It's just, you know, I did not have a great archiving system in some of those early days of making comics. So uh, I do have elements from 20 years ago in this book, but not a ton in the early days. Uh, the, the images and uh, process pieces start to sort of fill out a little more as the book continues and gets closer to more recent times. I think that kind of works though, because the more interesting stuff I think is done more recently. <laughs> you know, some of those early comics, uh, you know, just like everybody, we kind of look back on our early work and think, oh, uh, I'm glad I'm doing better now. <laughs> Who's the audience for this book? Is this, as you mentioned, is it is it for some of the students you have? Is it for peers? Is it for you? Is it for a general audience? Who is the audience for this? Artists and curious people are the audience for this book. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know about you, but I love seeing how people do what they do, whether it's, you know, making a bar of chocolate or making a beanie baby or making a comic or whatever it happens to be. I love seeing behind the scenes process for whatever people do with their lives. And so if you're the kind of curious person who's interested in that sort of thing, I think this revealing, pulling back of the curtain for art making is going to be really interesting. I also think it's going to be interesting for artists who also want to see like, well, how does a piece come to be? Um, and also just being able to appreciate this object as an art object as a whole. So people who mm -hmm. appreciate books and sort of specialty formatting, I think all of those folks are going to enjoy this book. The book itself is almost a piece of art as well. That's my hope. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really lucky in that, well, you know, as a self-publisher, I take the reins on everything, right? From you know, creating the artwork to distributing it, to getting it printed, everything goes through me. And because of that, I knew I wanted to make a big ambitious book for this 20 year anniversary of me making comics. And so I 
usually solicit quotes from a number of different printers, but this was the most amount of printers that I solicited quotes from. It was over two dozen printers that I asked to quote this job out. And out of those two dozen printers, I narrowed it down to, you know, about the top two or three and started getting samples from those top tier printers. And then it was pretty clear at that point who I was going to go with, because not only were they sending me uh, really accurate samples. Uh, you know, they would send me book cloth of the exact colors that I wanted. And I told them I wanted to foil stamp the covers. And so they sent me entire booklets that I could choose my colors from, which was super, super helpful for me as a control freak. You know, I, I want things to be just so. Uh, I don't want it to just be any willy nilly old color. And, um, you know, sending me bookmark samples, the built in ribbon bookmark it's going to have and so many different things. And they were really excited about making a project this complex. So uh, a couple of the other printers were like, ah, oh, like maybe we can do that. I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't hold your breath over it. The printer that I ended up going with was like, yes, we can do that. This is how much it's going to cost and allowed me to make the decision on whatever I wanted to do in this book. Because every month or so, I would contact them and say, hey, I have this crazy idea for this quadruple gatefold page. Can we do this? And they're like, yep, this is what it's going to cost. And so they never told me no. They <laughs> just let me make the decisions about how I wanted this book to be. So that were they a, a passive receiver to all your ideas or did they provide you some ideas as well? Like, have you thought about this or? Oh no, they, I think they understood that I had a really clear idea about what I wanted this book to be. And so they would work with me on those ideas like, Hey, I think this will work, but we might need to modify it in this way. Or yes, we can do this, but you'll need the pages to be a little smaller in order for them to fold in to create that quadruple gatefold that you're doing or you know just to make sure that i would give them proper files so that i wasn't losing artwork thinking it was going to be another inch or two longer than it was because it's 250 pages you must lose some image to to bleed as well then uh no uh you can have full bleed and i can put full images sized on the page appropriately so that it's got some margin around it so it's not being cropped off okay. um yeah this this is all very meticulously designed this is this is the most complex print project i have designed in my life and it is designed to a t because i am sweating over every single page, every page I have designed. I'm not farming this out. I'm not hiring someone to design this. I've been working on this book for the past five years, and I'm so excited <laughs> to get this into people's hands. You had to put on two separate hats in this way because you had to put on your your artist hat to make the product. But now you're also putting on your craftsman hat to like the actual designing piece of it. Um, which role do you feel more comfortable doing at this point now? You know, as a self-publisher, that's only two of the multitude of hats <laughs> that we wear. And that's why I love self-publishing is because you can wear so many hats. I love creating the work. I love making comics. I love writing them. I love drawing them. But I also love thinking about the final publication itself and how that formatting is going to relate to the content. Uh, I also enjoy talking with printers say, hey uh would you be able to print this how much would it cost can we work together uh you know what sort of a relationship are we going to establish um you know that sort of thing also 
interests me. And oddly, I like shifting hats into fulfillment mode and packing up these boxes and being able to touch each one of them with my hands and send them off to the readers and send them to distributors. Uh, it, it'll also be distributed through Diamond Comics nationally to comic book stores. So, you know, I pack up those boxes and send them off to Diamond. And all that is really exciting to me. It's like I've worked on this project, whatever it happens to be, for a very long time. And then I get to see it off into the world. And that also gets me really excited because as an artist, you want to share your work with people and to be able to see that firsthand, like, okay, this package is going to someone who plunked down their hard-earned money to get this, and man, do I appreciate that. So yeah, I, just across the board, I like having those different seasons of self-publishing from ideation to creation to publication to distribution, and then coming back to the beginning for the next project, you know? And so for, for this perspective, you were acting as a phoenix or an octopus? During that? <laughs> Sounds like you watched a Jake Parker interview I did. <laughs> good, good research, Barney. I appreciate that. <laughs> this is very much a phoenix project. I am laser focused on one bite at a time right now. And it's so funny. I, I keep that phoenix image in my mind throughout the campaign, especially because that's like the climax of the story, right? It's been leading up to this. The book has been building, it's been designed. And now it's like, oh my God, is it going to happen or not? I hope it does. And yes, it is. And what am I going to do now? And once the campaign is over, I feel like I turn to ashes. <laughs> like that is, you know, after the climax of the campaign and heavily promoting for months straight, uh, I literally delete every social media app from my phone the day after the campaign ends. I'm just, I like, I need some space. I, I want some downtime. I need a hibernation for a while. <laughs> and it's not like I won't come back, but just for, you know, some mental health. Um, I take all that off my phone. I'll allow myself to use it on desktop if I want to, but that's like a much more deliberate thing. Okay, I'm going to go sit down and use this and, you know, look at, my friend's page that I wanted to look at, but I'm not on it constantly and continuously promoting throughout the month and the month leading up to it and all that. So, yeah. What did you learn throughout those five years of you working on this book that you had to go back and kind of tweak because you're like, oh, I, I just learned something new that you had to keep coming back for? Oh my gosh, so much. Where to even start? Um, I remember some of my first spreads being uh, just information overload. And I like to be very clear about how things happen. And so I showed some of my buddies like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this art book. What do you think of this? And there were just like columns and columns of iterations of how this thing came to be. And there's like, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's too much. Like I wouldn't look at it. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, isn't it interesting? Not if I don't look at it. So like I really started paring back some of this uh, process work that I was showing. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about, you know, I, I designed a neon sign for my basement game room and was really proud of it and went through dozens upon dozens of iterations of how the sign might look because I thought at the time, like, 
I'm never designing another neon sign as long as I live. So I want to get this right. Like eventually that sign led to a bunch of client work that's also in the book. But uh, so anyway, all that to say there was too much. And so I really started honing how these spreads were going to look. Featured image on the right hand side, some process images on the left hand side. They vary from about maybe two to 10 different images as you're leading into the final images, depending upon what I had for each one. And, uh, and I, I think that we struck a really good balance. I've since shown this to folks and they, you can tell when someone's interested or not, like, even if they're like, oh yeah, that's good. Like that wasn't the sort of reaction I was getting. It's like, oh wow. I didn't even know that you went through, you know, they, they show it in, you know, things that they say, not necessarily in the questions they answer from you for, for me, but, uh, but you can tell when folks start to get engaged. And when I hit that nice balance point between uh, just showing a single image, but showing too much of how that image came to be, uh, I, I felt really good about that. And so that was a thing that I, I felt like I needed to work through really early on. Uh, I've read a lot of art books in my time and I, I understand that like some art books are really focused on the image. They'll show you a pretty picture. It looks great. But then after I read through books like that, that are only focused on the image, I'm left feeling a little mm. empty. Like, like I want to understand it more. Like why was this made? When was it made? Who was it made for? And I just have all these questions when I'm done, but I've also read art books that are like, dissertations, trying to read through just a mountain of text. And I don't know about you, but I'm much more of a visual learner than I am a mountain of text reader. <laughs> so I really wanted to strike that balance just right. And I, I, I hope that people feel like that's happened. There's a number of pages on the Kickstarter page, a number of preview spreads for you to look through. So, uh, so I hope folks will head over to one bite at a time book.com. Take a look over there and see for yourself. Watch out for wormholes because a good book is a wormhole, whether it's paper or pixels. Explore our artist books and chat books, including the winning 2022 Chattaqua Janus Prize lecture at januspointpress.com. And sign up for news of our upcoming sci fi, sensual, and literary collection, Event Horizon. This short story collection on cosmic decisions and their impact is written by award-winning author Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. It features comics, prose, photography, and original canvas work by an array of exciting artists. Visit JanicePointPress.com. Would you consider this almost like your memoir then? I think that, you know, people have asked me like, is this a retrospective? And <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on how you define retrospective or memoir. Uh, it's definitely part of my career. It's the mm -hmm. first 20 years of Elephant Eater Comics. That's my self-publishing moniker that I self-published my books under. And, uh, but it's not done. Like I think of a retrospective as like, oh, they're done making or they've passed on and this is their retrospective no it's it's just what i've done so far and i want another 20 another 40 another however many years i can get out of this 
meat sack that I'm in, you know? So, uh, I, I would love to do another art book, another 20 years into the future, another five years into the future. Cause I'm just, I'm so interested in a multitude of projects that are still in front of me. This is just the one that sort of looks back on what's happened so far. How did you organize it? Was it organized chronologically or by project or, or character? How did you organize it? A little of both. It's mainly chronological. It goes from early days to current day. Uh, and within there, I've also tried to sort of lump things thematically. Like there are sections of pinball related artwork and you'll see a lot of event artwork and podcasts and uh, different things that I've done for the pinball community. Um, there's also sections on neon design. So I've done a fair amount of neon design over uh, my time designing neon signs <laughs> in the past several years. And so you're going to see a bunch of that too, which I, I, I hope is interesting and different from the other ones because you'll see how I work with clients versus personal projects. So I'll present the client with three different sketches and then they'll say, oh, I, I really like this direction. And then we'll take that and I'll do final iteration for colors on that and give them several uh, options for that. And then they'll choose the one that they like best. And then that gets pushed through to manufacturing and production. And then the final neon sign is made. So uh, you'll see this sort of like diagrammatic tree leading across the page on these uh, client uh, options. And if you click one road down to that uh, Cthulhu neon page, there you go. You'll see just to the left of that where um, there's a few sketches leading to a few color options leading to the final uh, fabricated neon. So. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of how I'd structured it. There's also a section on watch design. I've designed a few watches for London based Mr. Jones watches and, okay. uh, you know, they, the watch designs I did the first one, uh, step right up there. That's sort of a carnival themed watch, uh, broke their company sales records. It sold out in, uh, two hours when it was announced wow. and after that they said, well, what do you want to do next? And I said, well, I love pinball and uh, made this triple gilded watch with three different robots playing a pinball machine and the time <laughs> reads on the score reel of the back glass and uh, that broke company sales records again it sold out in 30 minutes versus wow. two hours for the first one so anyway uh, I've had a lot of fun designing those watches and uh, I'm really excited to show people how that comes to be because I feel like that's one of those products that's like like how do you make a watch like that's the, who does that well <laughs> here are the various discs that went went into it you know there's a print on the glass there's a print on the hours disc the minutes disc and finally the back dial there could be an additional disc thrown in there to add some depth uh, there's a case back. I also did custom illustrations for the case backs on there. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about there and a lot to reveal. So uh, I, I hope all these different approaches are interesting. But to get back to your question, yes, it's or organized in a chronological way. But within that chronology, it's also kind of grouped into sections as well. You seem to be almost like a, a Renaissance artist, but do you have like one type of one type of medium that you tend to gravitate towards them? In my mind, everything relates back 
to comics. Mm. Comics is this custom puzzle piecing that I really love. You have to think about how the panels fit to the grid structure of the page. You have to think about how characters and environments and speech balloons and text will fit within the panels. You have to think about how that's going to fit within the structure of the entire story. So it's this like micro and macro uh, vision, like zooming in and out to think about how this project is going to come together. And I, I love trying to solve puzzles that haven't been solved before. Like if there's a puzzle in a box, uh, I have a hard time getting into completing that puzzle. Cause I'm like, well, it's, it's been done before. Why am I doing this? <laughs> or like, or like those paint and wine nights, you know, like everybody paints the same thing. That's that I've done it once. I did something very different than what they were telling me to do, but that was really hard for me to get into also. But, uh, that, that custom puzzle piecing that comics makes you solve, I think translates over to these other media like neon design, watch design, pinball, uh, mm. making fancy pancakes, you know, all these different things. There's a lot of related uh, skills that go into them, like illustration, like spatial relationships. It's, uh, it's a lot of that custom puzzle solving, like I said. How do you prepare your students for um, the art scene in the next 10 to 20 years then? Yeah. So uh, ever since I started teaching, uh, being self-reliant and making money from your work has always been really key in my teaching. Um, even the first comics class I ever taught, I had my students do an in-store signing where they go to a local shop and sign and sell what they've made over the past semester. And I tell them, if you don't make money from your artwork, you cannot keep making art. Yes, you can go get a barista job. Yeah, you can try making after work, but like, you know you're gonna be exhausted at the end of the day, and that's not tenable. You can't just keep making this, you know, for yourself hold up in your basement and not show it to anyone. Like you've got to, you have something to say as an artist, like you have a unique voice and I want to hear it. An audience wants to hear that and understand the world from your perspective. So share that with people. And that is valuable. You should be compensated for that. And I make no qualms about that. I feel like money is a four letter word in a lot of art institutions, but I do not feel that way. And from the start, I tell them, look, we're going to have an in-store signing this semester. And in three months, you're going to be selling the work that you're making right now. So we do that every single semester for my fundamentals of comics class, for my advanced comics class. I have done a number of different things. Uh, we've done not just an in-store signing, but an in-store signing tour where they make several stops around the state of Michigan selling their <laughs> books. Uh, I've also coached them through Kickstarter campaigns. So I've had students who've made over $1,000, over $2,500 for their first comic book. If you told me 20 years ago that I could make 2,500 bucks off my first comic, I would have thought you were crazy. Like I was <laughs> literally walking to comic book stores with books in hand, hoping that they might take my book on consignment that maybe one day I'd see a return from it. But 25 bucks, uh, $2,500 right off the back, I, 
I, I would have not believed you. But with the advent of Kickstarter, crowdfunding, um, this is just such an incredible community to be a part of. And I mean that sincerely, community, because there are a ton of creators on Kickstarter, but in the comics community especially, people are not just coming there for a quick handout and then running away. Like you look at the creators and you'll see, you know, five projects created, 75 backed, 100 backed, 200 campaigns backed. You know, they're, we're there for each other. And I'm so excited to be a part of this community. Where do you see the future of indie comics then? I think that there is a big disruption going on in publishing right now. Mm. And that disruption is indie publishing and self-publishing. It did not always used to be as accepted as it currently is. Um, I, I think we still have a long way to go because it still surprises me how much of a an interest in being accepted people have. And that, that shouldn't surprise me because I felt the same way when I was younger. Uh, when I first started publishing, uh, I do not think that my work was good enough to be accepted by a publisher. You know, looking back at it now, I don't think it would have been accepted. Um, but with that said, I think I, I knew that intrinsically at the time, but I still wanted to share it with people. So I started self-publishing, but over the past 20 years, I've been in really fortunate, really lucky positions to be able to talk to a lot of my heroes in the comics industry. And uh, from upper echelon folks to peers, to uh, folks that started after I did and are younger in the scene, I have heard just horror story after horror story of creators being taken advantage of by publishers. And now I thank my lucky stars that I started self-publishing and I have continued self-publishing for the past 20 years. I'm not trying to paint an awful picture of the publishing industry. There are um, benefits of being published. Some artists just cannot do business stuff. Okay. Maybe you need somebody else to help you out with that. Some artists do not understand printing terminology. Hmm. I don't think that's a valid reason to not self-publish because you can learn along the way pretty easily. And nobody knows everything about printing. <laughs> I still ask questions of my printers. In fact, uh, I just took my advanced comics class to a tour of a couple of printing plants around Lansing, Michigan here. And throughout the course of the tour, they were not the only ones asking questions. I was asking questions too. I'm interested in, wow, there's a new digital printer that uh, is not a laser jet. It's an inkjet printer. Well, isn't that water soluble? Isn't that going to rub off if people have sweaty hands? They're like, no, no. They print this clay first and then they print the ink on top of that. And then there's a sealant on top. Anyway, we got tons of information that I did not know about. So I'm continually learning how the print and publication manufacturing is changing literally year by year. You know, when you first started seeing print on demand, digital prints come out, they were pretty lackluster. They were stinky. They smelled like plastic. The color was off. The paper was horrible. Fast forward to now and 
it's getting pretty close to offset mm. printing. I, I'm not going to say I think the quality is better because there's still a lot of stuff you can do in offset printing, like a bunch of those specialty things I mentioned for my book, uh, that you cannot do in digital printing or print on demand, but it's coming. Like all of those specialty options are coming to uh, digital or uh, low run printing. So uh, it's really interesting for me to keep up with this stuff and, uh, you know, go on these tours with my classes because I learn right along with them. So anyway, all that to say, I think that the future of publishing is moving toward more boutique publishing because we have so many resources at our fingertips now. We can say, yes, press the go button on the print machine, which is essentially what publishers are doing. Uh, we can promote our own work, which hopefully a publisher does for you. But in all honesty, publishers are strapped for cash too. And where are they going to put their promotional might? They're going to put it behind their they're Michael Jordans, they're Raina Telgemeyers, they're Dave Pilkies. Like that's where their uh, promotional push is going to go. And I do not blame the publishers for that. I certainly don't blame Raina and Dave for that. I love their work. I have many of their books. But I know that if I launched into a traditional publishing model, that I would be forgotten. I would not have the promotional push that I would hope for. A lot of publishers, when they bring on new people, they'll say, oh, what are your uh, Instagram followers? What are your you know, social media followers? What's your follower count? Uh, OK, well, we're going to need you to you know, push this to your audience when this goes live. Well, if I'm doing that anyway, if I'm going to be the promotional uh, wing of this operation, then why am I not collecting right. all the all the money for what I'm doing. <laughs> right? right. So anyway, that's, I'll step down off my self-publishing soapbox now and let us move on to the next question. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about the book, Ryan, where's the best place they could go to? Uh, I'm trying to make it real easy for folks. If they go to one bite at a time book.com, that's one bite at a time book.com. That'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page and everything you could possibly want to know is there. Uh, we could take a look at the book itself, some preview pages, talks about why this book is even being made. Mm. And uh, But if you don't mind, I would love to highlight some of the reward options because I'm, sure. I'm really ex excited yeah, about some that. of these. Yeah. Um, so we can start as low as a digital copy or a single physical copy of the book. So when this retails, the price is going to be $59.95. But as a thank you to Kickstarter backers, I'm slashing that price by 17% off and including free United States shipping. Wow. So you're 50 bucks out the door for this big oversized hardcover art book with tons of bells and whistles thrown at it. Uh, I really tried to slash this price as much as I possibly could and not lose my shirt. So that's the basic uh, intro for a physical book. But I'm like, unreasonably giddy about this next <laughs> one. I have never created a patch before. And oh, I have wow. these patches in hand. These are commemorative 20 year Elephant Eater Comics patches. So this is going to come with the next tier up, as well as these custom raised copper foil prints that have this nice 
uh, raised foil element to them. Um, Those are gorgeous. And uh, so you should be able to see those if you cruise onto the page. And then uh, after that, I've even got a book club tier, which includes all of those things with the signed book and the signed print and the patch. I don't sign the patch, <laughs> but it also <laughs> gives you uh, a ticket to an invitation only book discussion with me. So once everybody receives their books and we've all had a chance to look through them and read through them, I'm going to set up a an invitation only Zoom meeting with just the folks from this tier who will come on board and uh, listen to me give a talk about sort of the behind the scenes of making this book, show a bunch of images that did not even get into the book itself. And then I'll open it up for some questions and answers afterward. And we'll just have a good time. I enjoy talking with people. I enjoy chatting about comics. Doesn't even have to be my comic. I, I love chatting comics. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to connecting with some backers through that too. Uh, we've also got some retailer reward tiers as well. And then uh, a big kahuna of the original artwork for oh, the cover wow. of the book itself. So uh, that's up for grabs too. So anyway, just wanted to highlight a few things that people can expect from the campaign. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope some of those things interest your viewers or listeners. Yeah, that's that's amazing, especially when you think about that that level of getting some like original artwork. That's a great deal that you put out there too. Does this come also with, as you said, some of your previous, some of your previous Kickstarter goals, um, where you've actually had some other, some other books? Is there, can they see some of your your other Kickstarter projects reflected in this book as well? Definitely. So, uh, mirror drawings and a hunter's tale were both funded last year in 2022. Both of those books are produced and fulfilled and complete. Uh, so each of those books are going to be featured in One Bite at a Time, have some behind the scenes info on each of them. Um, so yes, you'll see those in there. And also, if you head over to the campaign, I also have an add-on section where you can sort of do an a la carte uh, addition to your pledge tier. And so I've got a la carte items from the campaign itself. Like if you wanted uh, a second patch, you could add one of those on. Or if you want uh, you know, to add another book, you can do that too. Uh, but I also have items from my back catalog too. So you can see oh, wow. all of my work, okay. which includes A Hunter's Tale and a bunch of my uh, books prior to that. Uh, Coin Up Carnival and then one day, uh, my, my wedding comic that we did, a bunch of stuff in there too. So uh, yes, those will all be present both in book and in campaign. Well, Ryan, this was great. It's uh, very excited for your project and congratulations. This is a uh, five over five years worth of time put into this. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, it, it makes me happy to hear your excitement because I've, I've been giddy over here too. And just uh, so happy to finally get this in people's hands. Uh, it's been a long time coming and I, I just, I just want to share it with people now. It's it's awesome. it's time. <laughs> well, yeah, Ryan, you got to come back on again when you got another project. So, 
Barney, I would love to. And thank you so much for having me on Story Comic for my first time. Uh, this was really fun chatting with you. <laughs> You're welcome. I know. <laughs> it's gonna be one of those situations where, like, I ask a question, and you're like, "Yeah, you know, we're gonna." I just, I'm. Done. You already know the answer, right? Do I have answer. to answer that one? <laughs> I just, I just stuffed it. Stuffed it in a good interview. I'm like, so tell me about stuff, Ryan. <laughs> like, tell me about what, things. What pens do you use? What pens do you use? Tell me about those pens. Is it true it's that books part of your art? Is it true that books are made of paper? Like I don't know. It's like. <laughs>